Bandwidth for Changelog is provided by Fastly. Learn more at Fastly.com. We move fast and fix things here at Changelog because of Rollbar. Check them out at Rollbar.com. And we're hosted on Linode cloud servers. Head to Linode.com slash Changelog. This episode is brought to you by TopTal, freelance development jobs for world-class engineers. This message is specifically for our listeners who prefer the freelance lifestyle. TopTal gives you the ability to work on freelance development jobs and projects with top clients who understand the value of elite engineering talent. Work with leading organizations at the rate you decide, be in control of your own schedule, and get plugged into support from a community of experts in the TopTal global network. TopTal handles all billing and invoicing, letting you fully focus on your engagements without negotiating terms with clients or bidding against other developers. TopTal is also 100% remote, which means you get to design your own lifestyle and choose projects that fit your career ambitions. If you're ready for an exciting remote work lifestyle, take the next step by joining TopTal at toptaljobs.com. Again, toptaljobs.com. Hello, all you party animals out there. Shaboy! What you're about to hear is a series of lightning chats from all things Open 2019. Emma, K-Ball, and myself did a super fun live show on stage. And thanks to each and every one of you who joined us at the event, especially the 11 of you bold enough to lightning chat with us. As with all live shows, we had a few surprises. Our audio levels weren't perfect. Emma was too quiet. K-Ball was too loud. And me... I was all over the place. We've cleaned it up quite a bit. It's definitely listenable and you don't want to miss it, but we are going to roll the hallway track lightning chats first because they sound the best. Oh, and did you know this is also our 100th episode of the show? Pretty cool, huh? We had a bunch of ambitious ideas on ways to celebrate episode 100 and here's where it all landed. Okay, let's get to it. First up, we have Jake Lundberg of Brooks Bell talking about A-B testing. Booth live. Let's do it. Lightning talks. Yeah, so I just wanted to have continue our chat, I guess, on A-B testing. All right, um, so let's talk. Let's actually, since this is being recorded and we may put it out, uh, give us the the setup. So A-B testing on the client side. Yeah, so um, A-B testing uses testing tools like Adobe Target or Optimizely to deliver essentially third-party scripts to a site, modify them in some way, and you can control traffic. So some users get the default site, some users get a different experience, and you can measure the impact rather than just making a change to the site and hoping for the best. Um, But with Firefox making restrictions with ITP, or uh, Safari making restrictions with ITP 2.1, G, uh, CCPA coming out here January 1st. There's a lot of restrictions coming down. Where do you see the future of A-B testing going? So, it's a great question. Uh, I think there's a number of different things inside that question. So, we, we were chatting earlier about you know client-side versus server-side testing. Um, on the client side, I see more and more things broadly, not just A-B testing, moving to first-party scripts. So, I see us hopefully getting away from the load, you know, this tag from this site and this tag from this site and the bundle that that ends up creating all of these nightmarish uh, long download sites and tracking from 20 different places. Marketing departments love it. 
it's terrible for consumers, and I think we're finally seeing you know, regulation pushing us in a way that's going to say, hey, that's not viable anymore. So I think for client-side testing, we are going to see things moving towards, instead of you just drop in a third-party script, you actually have to have an engineer do some work, and you do something that is first-party so that you have full control over it, and it's not restricted in the same way. Uh, that's probably a negative for marketing departments. I was about uh, to say. <laughs> but they're already suffering some of that pain. You know, it's really hard to automatically drag and drop with a single page app, right? It's, they're, they're already losing the capabilities, and so this would give us a way to get some of those capabilities back involving an engineer. It seems like a company would be well served to provide APIs, easy ways for engineers to build first party without having to maybe host all of the, the data or provide their own scaffolding. That's been a huge challenge is not having access to APIs or there just not being APIs available yeah. and we're scraping pages for limited data. That's been a big challenge. Yeah, I think you know we're going to see there hasn't been an incentive to build out, for example, libraries there because every company wants to own that experience. So they say, just drop in our script tag and go. Why would we create an open source library for you to control all this stuff? Like, it's all hidden behind our proprietary area. Uh, if that goes away, suddenly we have much more reason to build out utilities that are going to be helpful. Um, I suspect you'll also end up seeing proxying type stuff where you know maybe you have an API over there, but since you don't want to touch anything that's outside of your own domain, you say, okay, drop this library in, put this little proxy in. It'll keep all of the uh, user-specific data local and first party, so you don't have quite as many restrictions about where you're sending things. You don't have to say, oh, yes, we send your data to X and Y and Z, but then you can offload the sort of data analysis and processing uh, to somewhere else because... I mean, with A-B testing, you have kind of two big pieces of it, right? So you have, for each individual, you want to assign them something so that they get a consistent experience. Um, and that is the tracking piece that is increasingly restricted. Mm -hmm. But then you also have data analysis, which can be anonymized, right? You only really need the bulk data to get the analysis piece to understand which is the better solution here or what's doing better. Um, that could be completely anonymized. That could probably stay as third-party services that provide a bunch of value add there, so long as you can have that layer in the middle that's like, okay, I'm tracking while you're on the site so you get a consistent experience, but we're not sending any of your particular data anywhere. We anonymize it, put it in buckets, and send it off somewhere for processing and visualization. Do you foresee adding that additional layer being an additional challenge to uh, uh, accurate analytics tracking? Because there's already an issue with the analytics not necessarily being 100% accurate. Do you see an extra layer adding to that? I don't know that it makes it any worse than it already is. <laughs> I mean, we're, and especially as you move to a world of single-paged apps or apps that are, you know, I, I love the universal uh, JavaScript approach where you render it server-side, but then once it's loaded, it hydrates a single-page app. Like, those already have shit tons of sorry. They have those already have tons of problems with accuracy and and keeping track of things. And you've already got to have an engineer involved plugging that stuff in. I don't think it's any worse if what you're plugging in is a library that proxies through your local API, as compared to just dropping in some script tag and then having to use their you know programming interface to plug it in. Gotcha. Well, thanks guys. I really appreciate it. Thanks, Jake.
Next up, we have Amel Hussein talking about finding your tribe at conferences. Take a listen. Hi, Jared and Kevin. Yo. Um, I'm really excited to talk about what I love about going to conferences. Oh, yes. Which is, for me, it's an opportunity to find my tribe, you know? Yeah. And I love multi-track conferences especially because I think you get to find your sub-tribe. And, you know, depending on what talks you're in and, like, which hallway you're outside, right? When, When talks get out, you know, it's just a great place to kind of catch your tribe. And I love that. I, I like love that, that take. I've always been anti-multi-track because I appreciate a shared experience. Oh, yeah. Same here. But I like that angle into multi-track. Find your sub-tribe. Yeah. Yeah. There's a wider tribe and then there's your sub-tribe. And, you know, I, I'm with you. There's something about single-track conferences that I think create for richer conversations around, you know, um, everything that we're all experiencing together. Yeah, we all saw it. We were all there. There's power in that, isn't it? It's like, you know, power of the collective experience. Yeah. Um, But, you know, but but there's something about, there's something nice, I think, about being in a multi-track conference because, you know, you you're, you're, you have an opportunity, I think, to connect and break the silos, you know, within tech, right? So this is, we're we're all at all things open, and you know, there's a DevOps track and there's a uh, a, a blockchain track. Guess who didn't go to any blockchain talks? It's me. This I guy. didn't go. I didn't go to any blockchain talks. <laughs> me neither. You Hashtag all? no blockchain. Nope. Sorry, everyone. Hashtag no blockchain. But, um, I but think yeah, there's like have, 22 tracks. There's like 22 tracks, and Holy you know, it's, you know, it's an opportunity for me to. To sh- you know, we all have a shared value here, which is you know we all are proponents of open source software, and we you know we all leverage open technologies, and so we all have those shared values. But now I get to meet someone who's maybe doing ops work and get to connect with them, and you know, uh, w- you know, with those shared values, and so I think it's it's a silo breaking opportunity. I feel like I've been finding my sub 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 tribe. You know, the people who are techie but also willing to look goofy on camera and dance a little bit. Oh yeah, that's a very small group. Yeah, there's like five of us. Group of one. No, no, no. <laughs> Tracy's expanding, yeah, the, expanding the crowd. That group. Yeah, Tracy she really, really is. had some TikTok going on. Kmall, why don't you tell the people what you've been up to? Uh, dancing. Dancing. I like to dance. Did you see him dancing? <laughs> you could be on dancing. On TikTok. Oh, my goodness. Dancing I, with I, the TikToks. I'd never heard of TikTok. I mean, that's not true. I'd sort of like heard it, but I hadn't understood what it is. But apparently, it's the thing for the kids these days. Yeah. Showing my age. Which means that, like, no kids are now using TikTok, you know? So, I mean, once we discover it, right. it's like, it's not it's going kids away. Yeah. They're basically, like, on to the next thing. Right. <laughs> they're like, oh, this guy's dancing. Kind of co- oh, he has gray hair. Ooh. Ooh. <laughs> yeah. M- Mom, time to get off TikTok. <laughs> so I spent a good part of an afternoon on d- TikTok when I first found it, just trying to figure out what the heck was going on with this thing. And then I uninstalled the app from my phone. And I was just like, all right, I get it. I'm moving on with my life. It's a rage uninstall. I've done that before, <laughs> too. <laughs> like, I don't understand this. This is really weird UX. You know? yeah. Where are all the buttons? Right. Where's, where's my navigation tree? Like, I felt like I'd seen it all <laughs> because like, it's all about the remixes and stuff. And there wasn't that many people on it then. So it was like the same thing. And it's funny, funny, funny. And it's like cute, stupid, funny. Then you start doing like stupid, stupid, stupid. And you're like, uninstall. <laughs> like there's like a downward spiral of my opinion. Yeah, you feel the but brain I'm cells. But I'm sure it's great. Bursting. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Apparently Tracy likes it. I mean, apparently.
friendly. But maybe but Kayball will be like She actually made that joke in her keynote yesterday. No. She's like, my, my husband thinks my brain cells are shrinking because of it or something. Yep, yeah. exactly. But, I mean, the fun thing is it is neat to see people who cross worlds. Yeah. So I love the fact that she's out there getting people to you know, be uncomfortable because as developers, a lot of times we're not very comfortable putting ourselves out there, right. you know, shaking our body, moving our body a little bit. And what body? Especially in you the afternoon. I don't have a body. I know. We're just disembodied brains, right? But it, no, it turns out that our bodies like act, are important and you treat them well, then you can think better and code yeah. better and you goof off and dance a little bit and then, I don't know. You find your tribe? Yeah. 27 seconds. Do you want to give any shout outs? Shout out to the conference organizers and all of the keynote speakers and all of the speakers. It's a lot of work. I did a talk. Hug your speakers, ladies and gentlemen. Hug Show appreciation. Speakers. Tell them you like their talk. Yes. Tell them thank you. <laughs> all right. Thanks so much for lightning chatting with us. TikTok. Here's Matt Broberg asking us some hard questions. This guy might have a future in podcasting. We got five minutes on the on the watch here. It's, go, go, go. It's your show. What do you want to talk about? Oh, man, I've always wanted to uh, run the show for you all. Okay, so, Jared, K-Ball, um, I was fascinated by the last one of the keynotes today that talked about full-stack development. As was I. And uh, the career development challenges that are happening where there's a consolidation on that end. Can you tell me a little about your personal experiences with, like, uh, breaking into those new boundaries? Or, like, what do you think's happening there? And then ultimately, how do people that are junior that are trying to get into this industry, like where do they start when it's a, such a big ball of things going on these days? Mm, that's multiple questions. Which one should we tackle first? Uh, well, I already talked with Matt a little bit about this, so I want to hear what you have to say. Okay. So where do I fit into the, the ever-growing front-end Front-end haystack. The haystack developer. <laughs> the, the move of the front-end developer, really, the empowerment to a certain degree of the front-end developer to be more full stack than traditionally we have been. Well, I've always considered myself relatively full stack because I've worked on teams of one, sometimes <laughs> two. Yeah. And so when I'm not full stack, I'm very much the the horse image <laughs> on uh, the slide that Chris Coyer put up where I have a very uh, immaculate back end. Oh, yeah. I never thought <laughs> I'd say that uh, You have yeah, a fancy a ass, and a fancy <laughs> ass and kind of a horse face. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> this metaphor has gone off the rails, but I hear you. Yeah, so you're better on one end of it. <laughs> so I've always been in like a 90% stack where, mm -hmm. I, where, I, where I lack a little bit in skills. It's usually in the CSS domain where I can hold my own, but I do not feel like an expert. And so uh, I've always been very proficient at everything else. Right. And so I don't really know where it's, what that means for me. I feel yeah. like I'm just doing my thing still. And I was already going to learn the GraphQL and do the things. And so I don't cool. really feel like, it, for me, I've never considered myself a front-end engineer, just more of an engineer. Awesome. Yeah, and that makes sense for you and, and your point. So you for the next question, K-Ball. So what's it look like for junior engineers, for people that are just coming out of boot camps, just come out, out of a degree, and they're pivoting into technology? What does it look like to be in this part of the industry? Yeah, I think it's intimidating because folks see all this stuff going on and it's changing and I got to do this and that and I got to do a framework and I got to do a backend and I got to do GraphQL and what's the serverless and all that. And honestly, I think as a junior, you should pick one thing and focus. Cool. 
So if you start in React, pick React and get React down. Understand it. Go deep. Try to get as much as you can in that and really understand it before you start branching out. And I'd even say that within a specialty. So you know, I talk to folks who are like, oh, I want to learn React, and I want to learn Vue, and I want to learn Svelte, and I want to learn Angular, and they're trying to learn all these things at once. They have a lot in common. If you go deep on one, you'll be able to branch out really easily later. But if you try to branch out at the beginning, you're going to get overwhelmed and never fully understand what's going on there. So I would say start one place, go deep. And this actually ends up being played out if you look at published industry career maps. Like there's a bunch of companies who have published their career maps of, oh, here's what we expect a junior developer, and here's what we expect a senior developer and a tech lead, and going on and on and up into architects, what have you. They have this sort of progression. and in the beginning, it's learn how to learn and learn one thing deeply. And then as you get up into a senior engineering position, maybe you're four or five years in, now you're branching out and you're saying, okay, I know my deep thing and now I need to know the things it's interacting with. And as you get into the industry for more like eight, nine, 10 years, it's okay, now you should be able to understand all the pieces and how they're fitting together and go further and further. But when you're just getting in, learn one thing. Don't be intimidated by all the stuff and feel like you have to all do that. That's hype. That's baloney. I really like that framing, right? Because it's a lot about something that we lose in our current education system, which is about like, well, know everything to a, a subpar degree and then graduate and feel inferior in so many ways, as opposed to what it's like to actually work in this industry, which is uh, enjoy the path towards mastery one thing at a time and build on top of that stack of mastery. Is that what you're seeing, Jared? I agree with that. I think what what you find in practice is as you dive into one aspect of the stack and you get to know that really well, you learn the rest tangentially, osmosisly, necessarily, by interacting with folks who happen to know this part really well or having to interface and connect the glue bits together. You just happen like, I didn't go study DNS. <laughs> I don't know if you guys studied DNS. You just kind of like learn how DNS works. Like, well, I got to put my record in and like, what's an A record? What's an MX record? Like, these are things that I just learned because I was running websites and like I wanted the mail to be delivered. And so yeah. you, but I studied certain things more deeply. And so I think you learn the, the rest because you have to. And I think that's a great way to go. Fantastic. Thank you so much for your time. Woo. Five minutes ain't much. No, Five man. minutes is Lightning talk with three people. That's not. Crystal Williams-Brown approached the booth right before I was packing up to tell me about Code the Dream. Crystal, thanks for joining me. What, what would you like to talk about today? I would like to talk about Code the Dream. It's a nonprofit that offers free programming classes to remove some of the barriers that people face when getting into the tech industry. Okay. And also provide some work experience because that's another barrier for people who've just recently been trained so they can learn how to make apps for other nonprofits or socially conscious businesses. Okay, code the dream. I like that. Uh, what are the barriers that are typically there? The original barrier that they were created uh, to face was part of Uniting NC is helping people with their immigration status and they discovered these immigrants couldn't get financial assistance to go to school okay. and they were having some trouble finding work. So uh, two of the people who worked for Uniting NC, Romero and uh, Dan, they both joined together to create Code the Dream because Romero had studied pro computer programming in school. Like he, he has a computer science degree. And so he thought, I can teach them what I know. 
and at least they'll have that to work with. And you can get by a little easier in the tech industry, especially now without having a degree, but just yeah. having the training. And then you saw people were having a hard time getting hired because they didn't have the work experience. So they created Code the Dream Lab, where we can make practice apps and then make apps for other nonprofits and socially conscious business. Cool. So how'd you get involved? I actually was looking for a way to learn programming for free. I was unemployed. I'd struggled with employment for a while, and I actually do have two degrees, but neither one led to any kind of gainful employment. And I was led through the Iron Yard, oddly enough. I oh. reached out to them, and I said I couldn't afford their classes, but I really wanted to learn. And they said, well, Code the Dream has free programming classes. You should look into them. And I was very grateful for that help. Yeah. Awesome. For those listening, wondering what those loud noises are in the background, <laughs> we are in the late afternoon of the last day at, here at All Things Open, and they are literally closing down shop around us. So, Crystal, what? how do people get involved? Who's the right person? Like, if they wonder, is Code the Dream for me? Or maybe I can get in on the helping side versus the receiving side. Help people guide, guide us through that. Well, we have a website that's very helpful in guiding you in whatever direction you want to go because we do take in volunteers who teach classes or they can be a mentor for a student or you can even come in for a small session where you teach one day just something that you know that could help out the interns that are currently in the program. And if you want to take classes, they have sessions running throughout the year and they're in different locations. We're also branching out so that you can do it remotely. So we have some students who are out in Chicago and we're gonna nice. branch out into more states. So yeah, it doesn't matter if you live in North Carolina or not. Okay, you don't have to be in North Carolina. How long has this been going on? It started in 2014, which is funnily enough when I was unemployed. Oh, really? <laughs> so it worked out really well. So for you me. had free time? <laughs> yeah. Are you employed now? I am. I'm employed by Code the Dream. Oh! <laughs> so I'm a full time developer with them now. Very cool. Very cool. So how many people, people work on there? The staff. Uh, it grew. It started very small, but a lot of the staff is actually people who've been through the program and really showed like uh, a kind of persistence and like a eagerness to learn and also some adeptness at learning. And they gave them more and more responsibilities and then finally saw if they could bring them on full time. They like to retain people and we're trying to make more in-house apps that we can use to raise money for Code the Dreams so that we're not so dependent upon grants and that allows us to hire more people so you don't have to worry about looking if you don't want to look, you can stay. You can look <laughs> or you can stay, assuming that you guys get that ball rolling. So that's very yeah. cool. Well, you have a, a few seconds left. Any shout outs you'd like to give beyond Code the Dream or maybe to your uh, partners in crime there? Oh, I, well, I am working on an app called Upstate that tracks bills in North Carolina and alerts people about anything that's happening with them. Cool. And you can sign up for free. And you can also view all the actions that are happening on bills for free. It's called upstateapp.keepupstate.com. Keepupstate.com. Awesome, Crystal. Well, thanks for joining us. <laughs> Thank you. This episode is brought to you by DigitalOcean. DigitalOcean is the simplest cloud platform for developers and teams with products like Droplets, Spaces, Kubernetes, Load Balancers, Block Storage, and pre-built one-click apps. You can deploy, manage, and scale cloud applications faster and more efficiently on DigitalOcean. Whether you're running one virtual machine or 10,000, DigitalOcean makes managing your infrastructure way too easy. 
head to do.co slash changelog. Again, do.co slash changelog. Okay, here's the live show on stage. Please bear with the audio if you can, because we have a lot of great guests that you will not want to miss. Here we go. Okay, well, the sound of those beats means it's time for JS Party. My name is Jared Santo. Thanks for joining us. I'm joined by Kevin Ball. He goes as K-Ball. Say hi, K-Ball. Hey, I'm K-Ball. Nice to see you. And this is Emma Vedekind. Hi. Can you hear me? I can't hear me. We need to get Emma turned up. Is that better? Can oh. you? Ooh. No? Yeah? Ooh. I can also just talk louder. Cool. Okay. And we're ready to go. So first up, we did have a, a, we primed the pump a little bit. First of all, I should say this is for everybody to participate in. Uh, we were afraid or concerned that perhaps nobody would come up and we'd have not much of a show. So we did prime the pump and I do have a short list of people that we've contacted before that we would love to chat with. As we make it through the list, so maybe some people don't show up, maybe some people do. Uh, we'd love to open it up for everybody to come and talk. And then if we run out of time during this session, we are down on the third floor, booth 72, with the mic uh, all set up, and we'll continue the lightning chats there if you don't get a turn here during this session. So uh, the first person we'd like to call up on the stage is Denise Cooper. Denise is happy to join us, but has a flight to catch, so she's going first. Yeah. And here comes Denise. Round of applause for Denise. Hello. Hi, thank you for joining us. Please have a seat. You're welcome. I'm leaving my purse there. Okay. <laughs> you guys have a watch on it. We'll keep an eye on I'll that. I'll need it to get on the plane. <laughs> so the other thing I didn't say is, maybe I did say it, but I'll say it again, is that this is a community thing. So we want to talk about uh, anything that you want to talk about, Denise. We literally prepared nothing. And so cool. please give us a topic, and we'd be happy to chat about it with you. Okay. Uh, I normally talk about Intersource, but after the keynotes today, I think it's important to talk about corporate responsibility. <laughs> because I was really disturbed by the AWS talk. I was disturbed because uh, there was an implication that OSI approved licensing is somehow um, optional. Optional. And that is not the case. So uh, I called him out, I called Ar Arun out. I don't, you know, I'm, I'm not saying Arun's a bad guy, <laughs> but I think when you let your customers decide how you're gonna engage with open source, you run the risk of listening to customers that are maybe not so savvy and think that you know change is maybe in the air, but it's not clear to me that change needs to happen to, to open source. I think we got this far because we made good choices about how to make it last this long, and I think we should make changes to the licensing schemes and to the importance of licensing very, very carefully. Mm. So that's what I would like to talk about. <laughs> Let's do that. So one thing to, to point out for those who weren't at the keynote this morning listening to the podcast, is that there was a talk from uh, AWS's Arun Gupta in which he, he talked about free credits for open source projects. Free credits for open source projects with a set of criteria, and some of those criteria they put preferably, uh, and in some cases I was like, that's overly restrictive, and in other cases, like the licensing you brought up, I was wondering, that seems a little... It is really dangerous. <laughs> so the, the point that you like to highlight is free credits for open source projects, preferably OSI approved 
projects. Is that yeah, that preferable has to go away. Can you explain OSI? Like, yeah, sure. The, so the OSI, I worked on the OSI for 10 years, so I'm in a good position to talk about <laughs> it, I think. Um, I think I might have served longer than anybody, almost anybody else. Um, but Michael Tiemann, local, local god of open source, was on that board with me, too. Um, the OSI decides whether licenses are OSD compliant. OSD is the open source definition. It's okay. 10 clauses. It's very straightforward. It's common right now for people to be suggesting changes to open source that would make it better. Mm -hmm. We actually got a, a license was submitted this week uh, called the, um, the vaccine license that has a field of use restriction uh. that only lets you use the software if you vaccinated your children. <laughs> like people are suggesting really silly wow. field of use yeah. restrictions, but some of them are well-intentioned. Like I wish that big corporations would have to pay, so I want to put a clause in the license that says that. Um, that is a field of use restriction that automatically disqualifies you from OSI approval mm -hmm. because that clause in the OSD says things, you cannot do field of use restrictions. And we talked about this a lot 20 years ago. Most of us in those days were libertarians or, or at least liberal leaning, and some of us didn't want the software to be used, for instance, for nuclear power or for um, weaponry. But we debated it out and realized that we had to set that aside in order to not create the slippery slope of everybody needs a special carve-out. And all through the history of OSI, licenses that aren't OSD compliant come from companies that are trying to get a carve-out for their business model because they don't have a good, strong understanding that open source is not a business model and they're going to need to change what they do. They can't have their cake and eat it too. Mm -hmm. Either they get the halo effect of open source or they get to say how they want to run their business in ways that open source people would not appreciate. But they can't do both. And we've been fighting that fight forever now. It's really disheartening to see a major venue like AWS who's trying to convince us that they're serious about open source, use the word preferable as though there was any other option if you're actually dealing with open source. Now, you'd be told that OSI doesn't own the trademark to the term open source. Nobody owns that trademark because the trademark office decided that it wasn't trademarkable. Okay. But they do own OSI approved license, which tells you that that license fits within the OSD and therefore doesn't do anything to harm the open source movement, right? So right. examples of things, recent things that were problematic, Facebook a few months ago now, a year ago now, put a license on React that included an extra patent clause. And Apache said, a lot of people tried to talk them out of it. They, kept, they were sure they had to do it to fend off piracy. I said, look, you've got deep pockets. Your job is to engage those pirates and take them to the mat. Look at what Vizio is doing. That's what you should be doing as a deep pocket, not trying to write your way around it. But in the meantime, Apache is going to say no to that. It's an additional obligation. And as soon as Apache started stripping out React code, they, they shifted their program, right? That is how we have been enforcing for the last 20 years. It's not ideal, but it's what we've got. All right. All right. Everybody, round of applause for Denise. Speaker number one. All right, we thought that buzzer would be fun. Turns out it's kind of it's kind of rude, <laughs> and so I apologize for that because I I could I could just hop into the code and change it, but let's not do that. Let's not go there. Okay, is Mo Hampton here? Woo! Oh, here Mo is here. Round of applause for Mo. Come on down. I feel like we need right, music. We do need we probably music. do. We'll just beatbox it, right? Okay. <laughs>
Oh, I didn't have intro music. That's okay, though. I'm okay. I had it in my head. Well, let's play this game. If you had to pick some intro music for yourself, what you what did you pick? Living my life like it's golden. Jill Scott. I'm All right, Mo, well, thanks for joining us. The five minutes on the clock, we'd love to chat with you. Perfect. So for me, um, and something due to my heart, it's just um, breaking into tech. Mm -hmm. And I've done that transition about three years ago, and I love what I do. Mm -hmm. There's no other job out there for me. I am a software engineer right now awesome. for defense. Um, I'm a government contractor. Okay. Um, but the thing that I think about a lot is those that have non-traditional CS backgrounds. Mm -hmm that come in. I mean, there's some that come back from um, like chemistry or some people that have like a something biology that come in or even people with marketing and advertisement. But I know it's possible, but I don't know how others feel working with somebody who's non-CS on mm. the team. Mm -hmm. So I guess I can open that up. Like, how do you guys feel when we come into the, into your space? Oh, you're you're one of me. Into, first <laughs> of all, you're not coming into our space. It's all of our space. That's right. true. That's a very uh, so, non-inclusive way I think to we say. need to change the paradigm of what it means to become a developer mm -hmm. because I have a CS degree and um, that did put me in an advantage. I'm not going to lie about that. I do feel like that was a, a privilege. Um, that being said, in terms of the things that I had to learn, um, I had to work hard to like learn those skills and to see people coming from non-traditional backgrounds um, it's, I love working with them. I feel like they bring a vantage point um, that I have not thought about before. I don't know how to like formulate my thoughts right now. Does anyone yeah, else? No, I, 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 I 100% like, agree. Point of view. I actually, yeah. Somebody who's um, been traditionally through a certain pipeline or certain classes. Yes. They have a different world Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah, I think it may be slightly harder to break in, yeah. but honestly having a more diverse background gives you an advantage once you're in the game. Because, I mean, this may be tooting my own horn because I'm not a CS background, but I feel like, you know, if you go through a CS program, yes, you understand a little bit more of a lot of the fundamental stuff, but you actually don't have that much of a perspective of how the rest of the world works. Right. And if you're coming from another background, especially if you're coming from another professional background, that synergy of skills of, I understand how this world works and now I understand the code, like that's an incredible advantage because you can link between those things. Uh, one place where we as coders often fall down is in communication with people outside of the software world. But we're building tools for humans. We need to talk to those people. Yeah. I. I feel like because I went the CS route, I was very tunnel vision. And mm -hmm. when I got to my first job, I did terribly. Like I, I thought I was going to quit or like get fired because all I knew was how, like that bubble sort was worse runtime than you know merge sort. I didn't <laughs> understand the practicalities of working in our environment. And so people who come from alternative backgrounds um, to get into this role, I think a they're used to working harder than we are, right? Yeah. Because you know, unfortunately, they feel like they have to prove themselves more, and unfortunately, that is the case. Uh, I would love to change that. Um, but the, I also feel like if you come from a boot camp, you're better prepared practicality-wise to get into development than a CS background, at least in my experience. That's true. Well, that's a good point to bring out. And I was just thinking about, because you are saying people that come from different backgrounds or different um, professional, like for me, I'm a veteran, so mm -hmm. I will look at a, a problem set differently and mm -hmm. kind of charge forward first. I don't know if that's a right way to do things, I go ahead first and then figure out the, you know, the collateral damage later. But right. 
it's a different aspect that we all bring to the table. And I, yeah. I hope that people are more open towards it, but sometimes right. you do feel as if you have to prove yourself right. more. Well, degree so does nice not to equate it. to like your um, intelligence. I know IBM, I think, just recently started um, uh, doing like apprenticeships, not apprenticeships, but like trials for our boot camp attendees where they would bring them in and like hire them for a year uh, and help them grow. So like even if you didn't feel like you were prepared, they would try to coach you along and help you because I think what's important is potential and willingness to learn as opposed to the piece of paper that you would get if you graduated. And I think it's good also because we have, like say for me, I'm stronger probably in my soft skills and Mm -hmm. I have my hard skills in software engineering, but I do have the people that have that background in education Mm -hmm. to kind of bridge that gap. So it's very good as long as as we know our skill sets and we know the gaps, Mm -hmm. that we come together and try to help each other out. So I'm glad you guys can talk to me about that. Oh yeah, and let's get rid of the word soft skills. They're human skills, right? This is how we interact with humans and that is the end goal of what we're trying to do. We're building things for people. Oh, that sounds like, like 10 seconds left, right? <laughs> it does. Yeah, you're going to give the give a shout out. You got a shout out you want to give? You got five seconds. Oh, shout out to everybody at All Things Open. You guys are amazing for showing up. Let's hear it for Mo. <laughs> thank you. All right, thank you. Thank you. All right. How about Maria Lamardo? Yay. Here she comes. All right, Robert. what's your oh, intro yeah. music? I'm not singing. Don't do that. Not singing? I'm not singing. Please don't give cave all intro Nobody music. Nobody wants to hear that. <laughs> well, when you sit down, you can tell me if I pronounced your name correctly, or you can chide me if I did not. Please, we'd love to call you by name. Maria Lamardo. Maria. Maria Lamardo. Very yeah, good. That is beautiful. I cannot say it that well, but I'll do my best. <laughs> what would you like to talk about today? Um, so I'm very passionate about web accessibility and building communities. Ooh, ooh. Okay. Lovely. Yes. We want to do both of those. We got five minutes. We want to um, do accessibility. Web accessibility sounds great. <laughs> okay, very good. What got you into it? Like, what inspired you to? Um, yeah, so I come from a non-conventional background. So um, I'm actually a behavior analyst, mm. and so I provided behavioral therapy for people with developmental disabilities for eight years before I switched into development. And while I was learning how to program, I was like so happy when I discovered web accessibility and I was like, oh yes, this is for me. So um, after that, I just kind of went all, all in on web accessibility. I think what's interesting is that we hear web accessibility and I, my first thought goes to like screen reader compliance and um, you know, keyboard navigation, like all these things. Um, I also feel like accessibility is um, broadened to thinking about who's consuming your applications um, and, your, and your website. So we, Uh, are in a a place of privilege where we have high-speed internet in this country. But if your app is being consumed by people with lower-speed internet, um, we need to be mindful of that. We we shouldn't be shipping all of this really heavy stuff. So accessibility is not just about, um, you know, what we traditionally think of as accessibility, but also um, can people access your application from, like, a... Right, like different hardware. Yeah, yeah. exactly. The network speed is a huge one. I have T-Mobile, which is great because they do... They give you internet access anywhere you go, pretty much. Like they have 200 countries, or there aren't even that many countries, but essentially anywhere you go, you're going to have internet access, uh, but it's at 2G speeds. And if you ever try to access the internet, uh, the websites you're used to accessing from your desktop or your laptop, even over Wi Fi or whatever, at 2G speeds on a phone from you know, somewhere halfway across the world, 
it is painful. <laughs> yeah. And many of, as Emma highlights, the same practices that are going to make your application accessible to folks here who have assistive software or things like that are the same things that are going to make it accessible to folks who have really poor internet connections. Yeah, even thinking about creating progressive web apps where you could just launch right off your home screen and it's just that much mm -hmm. easier, like one step launch and even if you don't have great connectivity, right? So mm -hmm. it's very important. And, um, you know, kind of playing off of what Mo was saying, um, coming from a different background really gave me a new perspective because I already had the experience from all the users who were struggling, you know, interacting with these applications. And I just didn't know that the world existed for like coding such things, right? Mm -hmm. um, so now coming into it, it's like, well, I know exactly where all the pinpoints are. Now we can, what can we do to fix it? Mm -hmm. um, so I do think that it's super advantageous to come in with a fresh perspective and um, never let like your different background be like a negative thing. I think it's mm -hmm. always a good thing. Uh, to your point about having seen the users, I wish every developer went and looked at the users of their application and watched them use it. And yeah. Users like stare at them for their window, or what do you mean? <laughs> uh, bring in folks who've never used your application but are in your target audience, or who do use your application every day, and just watch them use it, yeah. because your mind will be blown. Yeah. Uh, we have these models of how our stuff works, and other people, like normal people out in the world, don't have those models. Like every time I've ever watched somebody use something I build, I'm flabbergasted. Like you do what? You do how? Yeah. Like, yeah. but it's humbling because. You realize how much your stuff sucks. Yeah. <laughs> like I thought this was really good, and then I watched you try to use it, and it's not good. It's not good. We make assumptions that users use our products the way we the way we would. would. Yeah, yeah. Well, and we're still kind of seeing them every day as we build on them. So like to us, it's like, oh well, we've definitely improved it, and now it's perfect. Mm -hmm. And then you know somebody's coming into it brand new, and yeah. it's like, well, none of these make sense. Mm -hmm. Is there any real low-hanging fruit of accessibility like, or a gripe? Like, why does everybody get this wrong? Um, use buttons for buttons, links ah. for links. Don't take off focus. Yes. Like outline, please just don't do it. <laughs> yes. And yeah. if you are gonna create custom elements, like custom dropdowns, um, in instances where you can't use like the native semantic HTML elements, you still have to make concerns such that it functions um, the same way in native um, input would. Yeah, so. absolutely. Like, I would always say, like, whether you're considering accessibility or not, like, just put your mouse away. Try to navigate your entire application with the keyboard only, even if you're not turning on a screen reader. Like, just kind of go through that basic navigation um, with your keyboard. And you should be able to access everything. And if you can't, then there's something wrong. Mm -hmm. um, so try to figure that out. Yay. Thanks, Maria. Hey, let's hear it for Thank you, Maria. Did, did Brian Douglas make it? How about Eva Howe or Ava? There Yay! she is, come on down. Let's hear it for her. As Ava is walking up, since so many people no-showed, that is an opportunity for everyone here who has a topic they want to talk about. So have that in your head. What would I talk about if I was on stage? So when Jared opens the door, you're up, you're ready. <laughs> is it Eva or Ava? It's Eva. Eva, very good. Eva, thanks so much for joining us on stage here. We're happy to hear what you're up to, what you'd like to talk about. I work for a company called This.Labs, and we have an apprentice program where one of our big passion projects is getting more women into tech. Mm -hmm. Our founder is a woman. We have a lot of women on board. And so what we do is we take women who are coming out of boot camp, and we pair them with a mentor, mm -hmm. and then we're a consultancy. So we contract them out together <clears throat> with the idea being that 
the woman gets mentorship that she needs. Um, we've heard a lot of companies say they don't like to hire junior developers because they've got to deal with the mentorship aspect. Right. So we provide that by pairing them up and the company gets 40 hours of the junior and 20 hours of the senior. Um, and then at the end of the contract, the company has the ability to hire the woman. That is so. awesome. Sounds very cool. How does it work in terms of if you're interested in getting involved or? You can come by our booth. We have one like literally right outside the store. Um, or you can email hi at thisdot.co. How does the mentorship aspect of that work? So it varies from woman to woman. It kind of depends on the contract too. But the idea is that the mentor is there to help unblock the woman, to check PRs so that she's not crashing anything when she merges. Um, and then also just to help navigate being on a technical team, especially in a sense where she may be the only woman on right. the team. Um, and that gets a little bit more tricky because a lot of times the senior developer will be male and that's mm -hmm. hard to have that do. But in that case, we like to try to plug her into her local community where she can find more mentors that are female too, even if they're not working on that particular project. Awesome. What's the um, biggest challenge that you face with that? Getting companies to put their money where their mouth is. Um, everybody is out there talking about diversity and inclusion. I live in Silicon Valley. Everybody knows that there's 25, it's like 25% of incoming software engineers are women. Um, we've done huge, huge pushes on this and I get calls and people are super excited and this is a wonderful program and we really want to do this. And I write back and I get radio silence. Mm -hmm. So I feel a little bit frustrated in that aspect that yeah. people are very willing to talk about it but not willing to do anything. So. Mm. So when the, do the women come to you first and then you match them with a mentor and a company or do they go to the company? They come, so we partner with boot camps all around oh, the country okay. and we get the women applicants mainly through the boot camps, some, mm -hmm. somewhat through just Twitter outreach and our website. Um, and then the idea is that we, it's kind of a couple of moving pieces. Obviously we want to pair the woman up with the company in that she has some basis in the technologies that they're using um, and that there's a good fit with the mentor. Obviously there's personalities there too. Um, and then, and then fit them with a company and it kind of goes, it goes back and forth to make sure that everybody is a good working fit. I love this idea of an apprenticeship. I feel like this is something that, I mean, it is definitely important and helpful on the folks coming in, and I think from untraditional backgrounds, boot yes. camps, women who are at a disadvantage, other underrepresented minorities who are at a disadvantage. Broadly, we as an industry stuck, suck at training people. Yeah. We are terrible. I mean, boot camps have solved the, somewhat solved the getting in. Yep. I get the first step, and then what? What do I do? Every company I talk to is like, do you have seniors? Do you have seniors? Do you have senior folks? Nobody's training senior folks. Right. right. Everyone's trying to hire senior folks, but we don't have this pipeline for how do I get from I just got into the industry to mm -hmm. I'm able to lead a team or be a senior or something like that. So this props to you all for doing that. That's that's great. And I think you know the diversity aspect is is a key and important step, but I'd love to see this everywhere. I completely agree, because I think it's it's really hard for juniors to get the kind of on-the-job mentorship that they need, and so many companies, for whatever reason, just aren't willing to take that on and hire juniors. I don't. I think that a lot of times, either their senior engineers are not positioned to do it. They don't want to take the extra financial burden of it. I mean, there's a there's a lot of a different lot of different reasons for it. Um, but 
in our case, this is a way of us taking that out of the equation. Does that typically bypass like the typical whiteboarding interview as well? Yes. Oh. <laughs> we do do code exercises, um, yeah. but it's not a whiteboard interview. We are actually a fully remote company, so it would be a little bit difficult to do yeah. a whiteboard interview. Um, and we, we do other ways of, of measuring where she is and what right. technology she's good at. Um, but no, no whiteboard interviews. <laughs> I like that. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> is it uh, co code schools only, or can you be from a, non like a different background and still apply? You can be from whatever background you want to apply. Okay. Um, we focus mainly on boot camps just because that's where we find the majority of, of our non-traditional applicants are from. <laughs> Sorry about that. No worries. All right, let's hear it for Eva. Woo! We right. talked to Vanessa. Is Vanessa here? There's Vanessa. Yay. Come on down. Vanessa Alvarez. Give her a hand. Right. Is that the end of your list? Because it is the end of so Y'all better get ready. Yeah, I'll be ready. Welcome. Hi. Hi. So Thanks I was thinking about talking about changing careers like in the tech industry, but okay. then the other person who was talking <laughs> had a good idea about whiteboarding, and I just want to hear about like what type of like interview process you guys do at your currently companies. Because I do, I am, I don't like whiteboarding. Uh, no one likes whiteboarding interviews. I, I like whiteboarding interviews why? as a taker. I hate it as a way to find good people. You like whiteboarding? You would prefer to whiteboard? Uh, I, would, I didn't say I'd prefer, it's fun. It's fun for me because I love goofing off, right? So I'll get up with folks and like whiteboarding, you get to, I don't I like whiteboards in general. That's how I brainstorm, <laughs> that's how I do whatever. I'm just a fan of whiteboards over here. I have whiteboards in my office. Um, it's a terrible way to interview people. Yeah. It's okay. absolutely terrible. You should have liked I that. think it's fun. It's terrible. Can you enumerate why it's terrible? Um, why it's terrible is because it's testing completely different things than what you care about for a candidate. Mm -hmm. So whiteboarding is testing how well do you improvise on the spot in front of people that you don't know with a marker in your hand. And communicate. And communicate with people you don't know, which uh, communication, that part is actually, in my opinion, kind of valid because I think it's important that engineers can communicate. No, that's valid, but um, in terms of being able to eloquently communicate, on the spot, yeah. under pressure, yeah. in front of people you don't know, uh, oftentimes with folks who are not the kindest of interviewers. Right. So yeah, it's, it's setting folks up for failure unless they're skilled in things that are not actually helpful for their job. Yeah, um, I had a, it was, it was a good experience, but it really frustrated me because it was an interview for a UX engineering role building design systems with React. Mm -hmm. um, and the two out of the four interviews were about um, algorithms. And so I had to code binary trees on a whiteboard and, and find the broken edge. And I'm like, how is this relevant to the job I'm going to be doing? It's not. And no. that is so unfair to so many candidates. Going back to the whole, um, what if I'm not from a traditional CS background? Yeah. How is that testing anyone's ability to like, you know, deduce information and like problem solve to a certain extent? It's not. What if English isn't my first language? Right. I know. Well, yeah, exactly. So what would you suggest, like, the appropriate... Um, yeah, what's better? What would be better instead of the one? I like the take-home exam. So I had a really great interview with Gatsby. I, it was, they gave me a few, they gave me three questions, and they said, answer whichever one you feel comfortable answering. To give options to your candidates is incredible. That whole interview process was seamless. They also, um, like, the take-home assessment, 
first of all, they were going to pay you for it, which is amazing because often these companies put you through the ringer with the wow. end of interviews and it's unpaid. Right. Right? Um, the second piece of that is to do the tasks that you would be doing on the job. Um, a, it's practical. B, you get to see if you even want to do this job in the first place. Yeah. So I think sticking to practical things that are also manageable because a lot of us have families and other obligations, um, we can't give up time to go on site and give up a full day of work. And applying is like a, almost a full-time job. It is. <laughs> it is. Yeah. yeah. So it, something interesting that we've been doing in my company, uh, we stopped the whiteboarding and right now what we're doing is basically we have a bunch of like uh, functions and then we tell the person like, hey, just pretend that you're working. We're working together, mm -hmm. we're collaborating just like a normal day and just tell us what is this function doing. And then we start like talking and then if the person like, we want that engagement and we like that conversation happening. You, we're testing more of like, not so much of like their technical skills, yes, in a part, but more about like collaboration. We want if this person will reach to us if they have any questions. Right. Yep. And it has worked for that us very so, like, well. So less of a test and more of a collaboration. Right, so it's like, yeah. do you read and understand this function? Yes, okay. Awesome, and if they get stuck, what are you thinking about? Tell us, oh, this is what I'm going through my mind, and that has worked better, and we have gotten them to be not so nervous, mm -hmm. and it has helped us a lot, so. Yeah, I also yeah. think it takes a lot of skill to be a good interviewer. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely, that's another thing. Yeah, yeah. yeah. The please don't closer. Try to, I was just gonna say as a last point, please don't try to trick your candidates and show who's yeah. smarter in the room. That's not a good point. <laughs> The closer you can get to it being what it's like to actually work here, yeah. the better of a tell you're going to be able to get. And you do want to scope that within the bounds of what's possible for that person. Like my favorite, both as an interviewer and an interviewee, my favorite way to interview someone is to do a scoped paid project. Love that. Now, yeah. That is not always possible. If you have a full-time job and you have family obligations, you may not be able to take another paid, you know, another project like that. And so you need to be accommodating. But the more you can get to, this is exactly what it's actually going to be like working in this environment. The better you both have yeah. of being able to tell, is this going to be a good fit? Yeah. Awesome. Well, Thank that's our time, you. Vanessa. Thanks so much for sitting Thank down. Thank you. Let's hear it. Okay, audience, if you have a project that you've been working on and you want to tell the world, if you have a passion that you care about and you'd like to chat with us, if you have a hand and you'd like to raise it high in the air, a heartbeat. We got yeah, one. Yeah. Oh. oh. All right. Either one. We'll line them up here. Yeah, yeah. run on down. Let's hear it for the nice man who's running. We need the Price is Right music. Come on down. If I knew it, I would sing it. Right? I was just singing. Hello. Greetings. Hello. <laughs> Hello. Thanks for joining us. Hey guys, name? I'm Clinton Dreisbach. Hey Clinton, I keep nice hearing to meet people you. talking about boot camps up here, and I decided to run up because I co-founded one yeah. and okay. teach it one. So I thought it would be interesting to talk. Awesome. Tell us about that. So yeah, I, uh, <laughs> a bunch of my students are here. They're all in the audience, which is awesome. I hope one of them runs. Hi, Stuart. Hello. Wait, what's the boot camp called? So it's called Momentum. It's local. It's just in uh, Durham, North Carolina. Okay. Um, but yeah, me and uh, co-founder uh, Jessica Mitch, we formed it after we both uh, got uh, our former boot camp closed down and we knew what we were doing and loved it. So um, yeah, it's the most fulfilling and awesome thing to get to see new developers go from nothing to like full awesome developers. Yeah. But yeah, all the problems that people are talking about with you know, not hiring junior developers, like I get to see this up close and personal every day. And it's, a, you know, it's, it's um, 
that's the most disheartening thing, seeing people say, oh, we only hire senior developers. Mm -hmm. uh, because the people that I see every day grow as developers are going to be the most amazing developers you've ever met. They're just not quite there yet, right? right. But they're, they're getting there. Um, but yeah, it's such a cool thing. I can answer any questions. About How do we bridge that gap? I mean, there's obviously a problem. But there doesn't seem any obvious solutions to that problem. So the easiest way I've seen so far, and this is just takes time, is um, helping companies learn that uh, hiring junior developers and training them is pretty much the best investment they can have. You know, our industry people change jobs so quickly. Right. Um, but you bring someone in early and you help train them, and they become a really loyal, really amazing employee that knows what's going on there. Um, you know, as well as anyone. Um, but yeah, I think it's, it's the risk education is that of, they, the loyalty doesn't actually stick because people do move around so much that if I'm going to invest three years in a person and then they're going to go upgrade to a different job, that's that, to me that's a loss. Yeah. Well, I think to both of your points, you have to think about it as an investment. Investments have risks. Right. There are things, in, but if we're willing to put in you know thousands of dollars to recruiting. Yes. We should be willing to put in half of that amount to training the people we already have. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, frankly, I'd say twice that amount, right? If it, if it costs you $10,000 to recruit a new senior developer and you have someone who is already contributing, but you can spend $10,000 to upgrade them to a senior developer, right. like, it's a no-brainer. Right. There's it, an old saying that I'll butcher, but it goes something like, uh, what if, talking about investing training in their engineers, what if... Uh, we train. We spend all this money training them, and then they leave. And then the response is, "What if we don't spend it, and then they stay? Mm. Like they're going to suck forever." <laughs> no, no, they won't. They'll, they'll still get better. But you can see that that well, point there. And the other thing past loyalty is, I think there's no better way for your senior developers to get better at being senior developers than to train junior developers. Mm -hmm. Like, what are you senior in if you right. have no one you're teaching? Um, people ask me all the time, like, "Oh, do you get bored teaching the same thing over and over?" You have no idea. I learned something every single day teaching new developers. Sure. They ask questions that I would have never thought of. There's new technologies I have to learn. Like I've grown as a developer more um, teaching than I ever did previously. And, uh, and I think that's, that's going to be true in any company um, if you have your senior developers actively working to mentor people. What is your curriculum look like? Uh, we do uh, JavaScript and Python, so it's a full stack curriculum. Um, I just switched things. I, I'm, I tinker all the time with it, but uh, so we do JavaScript for the first half of the course and Python and Django for the first, mm. second half of the course. And how long is it? It's 12 weeks long. Oh, nice. Um, yeah. Full immersion or part-time? It's full immersion, so it's all day long, uh, you know, nine to five, like four hours of lecture and, you know, how, who knows how many hours of projects every day. Um, I kind of burn them out a little bit. We try and keep it to 60 hours a week. The yeah. folks uh, back there know how many hours. Yeah. And they're yeah. going, oh. <laughs> but, um, yeah. This, so they're getting a break right now because we get to come out here and see this. But oh. I thought it was so cool to have them immersed in the industry. I love it Absolutely. that we have ETO also here. Also, the fact that you that. brought them here yeah. is super cool because, like, I didn't get to go to conferences until I was, like, well into my first job. So. Yeah. That's was great. Cool, so sure. do you feel pressured to constantly be updating that curriculum, especially with how fast the industry moves? Yeah, I, I mean, for multiple reasons, right? I always want them to have the very best of content. Um, and also for me and the other instructors, it is, I mean, it sharpens our skills to constantly be revisiting what we're doing, making sure we're doing it right. But, you know, every class there's stuff that people get stuck on that I go, oh, I know a better way to teach that or a better way to learn that. Um, yeah, so there's some pressure, but, I mean, it's, it's fun to do. I think, you know... Teaching is hard, but if you have the bug, like, you never want to stop doing it. How can people apply? <laughs> How can people apply? Well, they can go to MomentumLearn.com if they're interested. But, um, yeah, or you can just find me or anyone else around here. 
Very good. Thank cool. you so much. All right. Thank you so much. Come on down to Chinatown. I, well, I was singing the theme earlier, but no one seemed to understand it. That's what we're going to do. We're going to get the, for our next lightning chat <laughs> session, we're going to get the theme song to play as you yes. come down. Hi, what's your name? Uh, good afternoon. My name is Henri. Uh, Henry in French. Okay. So, oh. Uh, Henri. Yeah. Henri. Bienvenue. Merci bien. <laughs> is that all you have? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like waiting. I'm like, well, uh, yeah. You've reached hey, the hey, end hey. of what he has. You are to speak French. Well, absolutely. Le français, c'est ma langue maternelle. So I just said French is my mother tongue. Oh, où habites-vous? Alors, je suis Canadien. Alors, j'habite à Toronto. I have no idea what you just said. Okay. I said I'm Canadian and I live in Toronto. Okay. Very cool. I mean, is this a translation podcast? Yeah. <laughs> it's going to have to be. We can go to Spanish. We can yeah. go to Okay, German. un poquito, un poquito. Okay. Puedo sí. hablar español si quieres, pero... All right, let's go. Plus. I mean, <laughs> we just flipped the podcast. All right. Okay, let's, so let's we started... Oh, man, we just started. Well, we're, we're wasting your time oh, here. Okay. What do you want to talk about? What would you like to talk okay, about? Okay, so um, I tend to um, hang out in the web performance space. Okay. So I was like, oh man, I think people are going to be bored, but I'm here to talk about uh, something that's being worked on right now, which, which is uh, the JPEG Excel, uh, so kind of a new format. Okay. Um, so any, you know, for all the web developers out there, images are, are a huge problem on the web. Um, in fact, actually, for the person who talked about accessibility, uh, the number two actually uh, issue in accessibility is uh, through images, uh, which is alt text. So images are a problem like sure. through and through. Um, so with the JPEG Excel, basically what's gonna happen is, um, well, essentially what happened, let me backtrack, uh, a couple of years ago, is this my time up? It's no. Like, <laughs> no, that's the light going crazy. Okay. Um, a couple of years ago, uh, to celebrate sort of the 25th anniversary of the JPEG, um, the Joint Photographics Expert Group um, put out a CFP, and uh, because the JPEG is a format that's kind of like always being worked on, and um, so they receive uh, seven uh, submissions, and uh, two are picked. So basically. Um, they're trying to see like how we can go about and improve the, the JPEG as a format. And uh, essentially what happened, two were selected. One, um, so they're going to take sort of the best of both. So one is the, uh, I'm going to pronounce it improperly, but FWIF, uh, which is um, uh, the free um, universal uh, image format, which was being developed by Cloudinary. And the second was PIK, P-I-K, which was another format that was sort of being experimented with uh, by the people at Google. Um, so the two, sort of like the best of both, are going to be used as they sort of uh, make their way to this uh, new format, which is going to be called the JPEG Excel. And what are the advantages of JPEG Excel? So uh, essentially, with, uh, with any sort of like um, recent format, you're going to get um, some improved uh, encoding, for sure. Uh, but things like um, responsive web design has been a huge burden uh, on the web uh, simply because a lot of people just do not get it right. So you end up having a lot of data waste uh, being sent down the pipe uh, to users and actually by corporations as well because you get that wrong. Those are your servers that you have to sort of you know, pump that, that, uh, the, the resources down. So um, that, you know, obviously you're going to have uh, animation, which is also a bit of an issue uh, on the web because a lot of people do fall back to the um, grossly oversized GIF. Yes, I said GIF. <laughs> GIF. Um, and um, so that um, 
encoding is going to be improved. Obviously, we're going to have alpha channels. They're going to have adaptive compression. So essentially, parts of the images are going to be compressed a little better than the others, the ones that need it anyhow. Um, and obviously, it's most likely going to be mostly lossy, uh, but uh, with the best encoding possible at the time. So you have this sort of like quasi lossless thing going on. Mm. That was a lot of words that I don't know that much about, but I'm intrigued. Okay, well, I mean, uh, there's information online for sure. Um, if you go to, I believe, jpeg.org. Um, but at the end of the day, I think um, most people know images, yeah. and uh, most web developers certainly need to work with images. And um, it's just something that uh, by, you, you talked about um, sort of be, uh, having um, constricted data uh, or, or yeah, networks yeah, yeah. and whatnot, 100%. you know, exactly. You, you don't handle images properly, this is where you're going to feel it the most. Where did you, how did you, your question's probably more pertinent than mine. I was just oh, for, you're wasting this time. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, well, All of you. Come on. So the, come on. The question I had, actually, you brought up accessibility. Yes. And one of the things that I have seen bandied around is embedding some of that alternate text in images so that yep. it's not dependent on the web developer, it can actually be encoded. Is that something that's included in this? So it, that's actually separate. It's funny you say that because I'm preparing some uh, a project and a talk on that. Uh, there is a, a, a push towards uh, automation of alt text. Yep. So uh, this is completely separate, but um, IG, well, Instagram, Facebook has been doing it for a while. Um, Chrome and Canary as an experiment, you could actually get that uh, done right now as we speak, uh, but it's behind a flag, but again, that has, less to do with performance, unfortunately. Yeah, that feels like something where machine learning image recognition oh, it's happening. super powerful. It totally is. Helpful. It's happening as we speak. Thanks, Thank man. you so much. We appreciate Thank it. you very much. Yep. Awesome. Thank you. There you go, Emma. All right. Come on. Price is right. We have a few more slots after this one if you'd like. If you're interested, come close. Yeah. So we have less awkward stalling. Hello. <laughs> Hi. What's your name? Hi. What would you like to talk is Jill about? Burns. Um, and love your podcast. Well, thank you. Yes. Great to meet yeah. you guys. We appreciate um, that. I wanted to just mention that I came into coding well years ago, but re-entered recently okay. in fields through tech reentry. I had. 18 years as a computer programmer, software engineer. Wow. Took 10 years off, raised kids. Full-time job. Yeah. <laughs> and moved three times. Okay. And then came back in um, as a software developer again. So the senior, we had an apprenticeship. I had a mentor, which was crucial to the program. Um, but I think it's another way to bring women in that have had experience and you know that you know we've done our learning at one point right, right. Um, and then just have the opportunity I'm so excited to be back in the field that's actually. beautiful what's changed the most from your first time to your to now <sighs> um, I think that the database work for me um, it's way easier now way harder way different I mean, I, I, relational databases into the NoSQL um, was probably, I would say, my biggest leap. Okay. Um, when I left, I was doing Java and web services, and now it's Node.js, cloud, and NoSQL. So 
couple of different jumps, but um, I started in the mainframe, so yeah. oh. going from Fortran in high school. Yeah, oh, yeah. Pascal and we could probably yes. learn Fortran. All right, all right. All right, history. I was in scientific so, computing back in the day. Yep. Well, what hasn't changed then? You know, you come back and you're like, what's exactly. the same? Exactly. I've seen it change a number of times. Well, but what hasn't changed? Um, oh, you're, you're saying everything has changed. changed. Has I see what you're saying. Um, I get it. What hasn't changed? Surely there's some constants. Change is the only constant, right? I would say... Um, <laughs> I just, I just Jerry gives me this look like, you're going to back me up here, right? I just blew up his mind. Did your, did I'm your not mind sure explode? there are any constants. I mean, the, the, there are a lot of similarities. I will okay. say there are a lot of similarities, but the basis of who I'm working with is getting a lot more diverse mm -hmm. than historically. Yeah. Um, I draw on a lot of my knowledge from other um, programming languages and databases. How did you get up to speed when you came back in? I started, well, you know what? I attended conferences like this ah. yes. when I was out. I did attend conferences. I listened to podcasts. Excellent. And I did um, online training mm. when I could because it was still a full-time job right. raising kids. Yes. Right. Um, so, yeah, that was, that was it. And then when I started, it was a 12-week apprenticeship with the option of, on both sides, being hired or not at the end. So that was my 12 week of, okay, here's your project. Yeah, that, You've got a few that weeks is the best way code. to do If you can make that happen, I mean, that, if I'm looking for a job, that's my favorite way to interview because yeah. it's how you learn what this place is going to be like to work with because folks will put on their happy face when they're interviewing you and you work with them for a while and you discover it is a cesspit. <laughs> or other folks who are like not super jazzed at, interviews and don't do it very well, but then you work there and it's the, like the best place ever. So yeah, that is. is. That's how Europe does it. So when I went to Germany, um, they were like, oh, you're on probation for six months. And I was like, what do you mean? Um, and they're like, no, it's a standard. So you're on, everyone generally joins probation for six months. At the end, either party can walk away. Mm -hmm. That's a good amount of time to like get your. To know. Yeah. yeah. But that's, huh. we should standardize that. Kind of cool idea. That's a good thing. Yeah. yeah, absolutely should. And I did the three question take home interview. Yeah. So oh, I came back in. I you like the, that. I got the three questions. Yeah. So. yeah. I think the both sides is key too, right? Like yes. this is this if it's instituted as a company power play, it's terrible, right? Like, oh, we're gonna be right. watching you for this first three right. months or mm -hmm. six months right. and you know then we like decide is a weird word. For but me. If yeah. you come in with it saying like this is a period I do it as a consultant. I do it yeah. um, if I'm looking for a job. Like I wanna do a test run and I wanna figure out by working with you, is this a good place or not? And it's my decision right. to walk away. And yeah, you could decide if you want me to go too, but you won't. It's my <laughs> decision. You won't. <laughs> and the confidence. Me. Yeah, there Aww. you go. Awesome. <laughs> awesome. Jill, thanks so much for joining yeah, us. Thanks thank for listening you. to the show and uh, welcome back to the community. Yeah, welcome. Yeah. All those years. Okay, I did see another hand poke up and then it dropped immediately. I'm hoping that hand will go back up again. Oh, here it is right here. Oh. Yes, yes, yes. Pointing fingers. Go, Emma, sing. All right, here she comes. I think she raised her hand first, but if not, she just got Vaughn Cole. Yeah, you did. Ooh, Vaughn Cole. I like that. Hello. Hi. What's your name? Uh, Janasic. 
Yeah. Janae, nice to meet you, Janae. Nice to meet you. Thanks for coming up on stage with us. Thank what would you like to talk about? Um, I wanted to answer Vanessa's question about um, whiteboarding, alternatives to whiteboarding yeah. and okay. what, other, awesome. what other companies are doing. Yeah. So um, I guess briefly, my background is graphic design. I went to school for design. So there are a lot of um, people I know who are making that jump from design into development. It's kind of natural, right? You're like, you're already on the computer. Tangential state. Exactly. Yeah. People are going to ask you to do a little HTML here and there. And the next thing you know, you're like full on development. Yeah. Yes. yes. Yep. <laughs> um, so I actually, I took a career break and I came back and found out like everything changed and how to like quickly get up to speed on how to code. Um, and I end up uh, doing a lot of job hunting. Um, and one of the places uh, that I interviewed at was Red Ventures, and they had a booth here at ATO last year. And um, I met a guy who was like, who remembered my name, and when they came up for um, looking for someone to hire, they um, reached out to me and, and said, you know, we really liked you. We don't really have a role in particular, but we'd like to talk with you. So um, they brought me in to um, do like a, one of those like, meet 10 people for six hours. Like it was one of those big interviews, but I didn't, I did have to do whiteboarding, but I sat um, on a panel for um, a couple hours and they just asked like, explain what are you good at? And like, why are you here? And like, you know, and just really under, try to get an understanding of where my strengths are and um, my interests. And then they were able to kind of like uh, manipulate the, the interview to see exactly how I would fit in. So I did do a, a a whiteboard. I really sucked at it, but they were like, "We were, we do, like, we don't expect you to be good. Like, okay. we we know you're going to be sweat, and we just want to like hear how you think. And you did well, even though you feel like you did poorly. Yeah. Um. So they were very interested, and I did end up passing on that opportunity. And you know, recently, um, I got employed at another company called Medley, and then I did another career job. Um, so I'll be starting at IBM. Yeah. Ah, yeah. Congrats. Congratulations. Yeah, it's been a long journey. What, do you know what team or like what area you're in? Um, under the cognitive applications cool. is the larger department, and then um, I'll be doing uh, front-end development for them. Awesome. So um, they what had... What did you think of that interview, from? It was so cool. It was very cool. And it was, um, at first I thought, I'd applied a couple of times before and failed, and I was like, I'm not going to do this again. Mm -hmm. I'm just so tired, you know. Um, but a recruiter found me on LinkedIn, and um, it was a take-home application. So what was cool is that they didn't have a particular um, goal. They basically gave you a very open-ended uh, task, and they wanted to see how you thought all the way from the wireframe, UX, UI strategy, into development. Mm -hmm. So I ended up, like, to me, it felt like a fun personal pet project, so I already went in not having that pressure. Right. And um, I just went to town on it. Yeah. Like I threw in all my XD skills and my wireframing and UX and then into my front end development and then even tried to do a little back end with some Express, which, you know, it was kind of, <laughs> I was afraid I wasn't going to get it. But um, when I had the chance to come in and um, just tell the team, because you have to sit with two or three developers, I got to explain like my whole process and what I was thinking and why I did it and just go through all the things that I was really strong about, like all the things that I was pretty good in. Um, and then I think they also kind of stepped back and thought, okay, you know, like she's pretty good with this, but probably not as strong as here. But I didn't feel that pressure. No binary tree searches, because I have gone through that. That was uh. ridiculous. <laughs> I, 
I'm a designer first, right? And then developer, so right. I can draw your tree, but I'm not gonna <laughs> code some stuff. I feel like one of the things that you're highlighting here is like this is this should not be like if you're looking at your hiring process as an employer, like this should not be a judging process. This is dating, right? I don't go on a date. I mean I haven't been on a date in twenty years, but it, <laughs> I don't go on a date and be like, all right. You're a seven out of ten on this and a nine out of ten on that, right? Like it's looking for compatibility. Sure. It's looking for like, are you the type of person that I want to work with? And I'm, is this are you gonna fit well in our team? Right. And I think that's the that's probably how you can retain talent because if I'm coming in knowing like I'm going to be looked on, like they're expecting me to do well at what I'm doing well already, then you know, you're you're just gonna start from a point where you're gonna excel. Mm-hmm. So that's how I feel on. Pretty exciting. Yeah. Aww. Oh. 13 seconds. You want to give a shout out? To anybody you like. Uh, my son, I'm going to do a talk tomorrow. He's going to be here. He's three, and we're going to do a talk about bringing minority children into STEM. <gasps> I love so, that. Yes. Awesome. When, when and where is that talk? Everyone go watch our talk tomorrow. <laughs> yeah. It's um, 205. Room 205 at 11.45 a.m. Okay. Yes. You heard it here. Such a fun age. Yeah. Okay, that is our time. That being said, if you have a lightning chat you would like to perform, or is it a performance? I don't know, if you'd like to chat with us, we will be down in the main floor, booth 72. Um, we have, we're mic'd up, we're ready to continue these conversations. We'll get the timer going and everything. Any final words from uh, my esteemed colleagues up here? I just wanna say thank you to everyone that came up here and, and put themselves on the spot. I think that um, sparked some really interesting conversations. Yeah. K-Ball? Y'all rock, but I want more dancing. Y'all rock, <laughs> but more dancing. Okay, that's our show. That's JS Party. Thanks for joining us, and uh, yeah, we'll see you next week, that's what we usually say. That's weird, though. Thank we'll see you next time. Thank you for tuning in to JS Party this week. Tune in live on Thursdays at 1 p.m. U.S. Eastern at changelaw.com slash live. Join the community and Slack with us in real time during the shows. Head to changelaw.com slash community. And do us a favor. Share this show with a friend. We're just going to have a podcast. Go into Overcast and favorite it. And thank you to Fastly, our bandwidth partner. Head to Fastly.com to learn more. And we move fast to fix things around here at ChangeLaw because of Rollbar. Check them out at Rollbar.com. We're hosted on Leno Cloud Servers. Head to Leno.com slash ChangeLaw. Check them out and support this show. Our music is produced by Breakmaster Cylinder. And you can find more shows just like this at ChangeLaw.com. Thanks for tuning in. We'll see you next week. <laughs>